Merry Christmas, everybody. We're in the Christmas season right now, Christmas at the Harbor. It's exciting, and, and it's, it's a wonderful season. I'm with Shannon. I, I love this time of year. And uh, we're going to have an amazing month together. And we're kicking it off today with a series that we're looking at titled The Advent Conspiracy. But, but for real, we want to be a church that conspires together. Meaning to act in harmony towards a common end. You see, God's given us something to do. He's given us revelation, understanding to walk together to see our city changed. Do you believe that? Say amen. Listen, did you know in the, in the Love South Florida outreach, over $300,000 were given collectively among those 60 churches to touch this city. 225,000 pounds of food were given away, and countless, countless hours of servanthood. You see, in Christmas, in Advent time, how many of you know it's way better to give than it is to receive? But I like giving, get, receiving as well. Come on, somebody. Right? It's, it's all fun, but, but for real, it's, it's way better to give away what we've already received from Jesus. And so we're trying together as a community to reclaim the essence of Christmas, all right? That's what we're going for. That's what we're conspiring together to do, to reclaim what is Christmas all about. What is the coming of Jesus really all about? I love that we were singing this morning, break down the walls, push back the dark, Light of the world, move in our hearts. Heaven, flood the earth. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what the coming of Jesus is all about. You know, Advent is a wondrous moment in history. Well, think about this. God clothed himself, as Shannon was saying, in flesh and blood. And came and lived in our existence here on the earth. And it was such a potent move that it was making a way for us to see the very essence of our lives changed. All right? It's it's so incredible. And I want to just start off by looking at this scripture. We're going to take a peer into the life of Nicodemus, um, a a biblical figure who honestly I, I really hadn't given much thought to, much time to until I was preparing for today. And just some stuff really jumped off the page to me. Um, And we're going to look at him in just a minute. But I want to set the context of what I'm going to talk about. um, Talking about the light has come. Just really focusing on Jesus. We're going to take communion together at the end. I want to just peer into this beautiful gospel again this morning. But look what's happening here in Luke chapter 2. And just to set the stage, there's the first part of the book that's talking about Jesus coming to the world. And then... And then it kind of shifts over to this moment where this man named Simeon, who's been waiting for the Messiah to come, gets to see Jesus. And and look what happens here in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 30. He says, this is powerful, and if we can just pay attention to language here. He says, with my own eyes. Luke chapter 2, verse 30, Message Bible. With my own eyes, I have seen your salvation. And then he reveals what that is. 
verse 30, 31, what the purpose of it is. He says, it is now open for everyone else to see. Now, you've got to understand the context here. God, in, in whatever, for whatever reason, had chosen the nation of Israel to be the recipients of this perception, Christ. And out of this understanding, they were to give this light away. Look in, in verse 32, a God-revealing light, he says, to the non-Jewish nation. So they were supposed to give this away. And he had seen Jesus, he had seen Messiah for himself, and now he was called to give it away. I don't know if this is true for anybody else in this room, but I remember when I came to this same kind of experience myself, in a sense, where I had my heart opened up to the truth of who Jesus was. I remember that moment, and in that moment, what struck me as, as powerfully as me coming to understand who he was, was the, was the revelation that, my goodness, in all of my family, who on both sides, and cousins, and aunts and uncles, none of them at the time had experienced what I had in this moment. And I remember feeling the sobriety of that. I remember feeling, my goodness, I have been giving some, given something that I am responsible for, and I was in awe at the very fact that God, for whatever reason, had chosen me. Anybody else resonate with that? And this is where the nation of Israel was at the time. God, for whatever reason, had chosen them to be recipients of this great gift, to have their eyes open to the significance of what Christ meant to the world, and then to go and give it away. The other day we were in our staff meeting and we were praying, and I told our team, I said, I know this sounds so simple, but I really believe if we could just give the world Jesus, everything would be made right. The challenge is, is that we have to possess him first for ourselves. And when we are changed, when we are transformed, we have authority to actually go and see the community around us changed. You see, God actually is after us, as, as, as Shannon said, she, he's chasing us down, he's going after us. And there was this guy by the name of Nicodemus that Jesus had massive plans for. Massive plans. And I want to say over each of you that God has massive plans for your life as well. You don't even know it. So John chapter 3. Let's look at this for a minute today. Asking God to breathe some understanding for us by his grace and then we're going to take communion together. It says, chapter 3, verse 1, there was this man named Nicodemus. Now pay attention. It says, a Jewish religious leader. So he was a part of the church. He was a Pharisee. And it says in verse 2, after dark, highlight that. Write that down in your notes, all right? One evening, he came to speak with Jesus, calling him rabbi, which meant teacher. So he was wanting to learn from him. He was hungry to understand. 
He said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. And he says, your miraculous signs and evidence is that it shows us is evidence that God is with you. You see, there's a lot of um, skepticism in the world today about religion, especially about the church, and unfortunately, especially about Christians. I mean, guys, this is reality, all right? This is the news on the streets. But isn't it interesting that this potent leader who was not yet all in was drawn by one thing, miraculous signs. In other words, something from another realm that was coming and invading the earth through this man called Jesus. Now, I am hungry to possess greater measures of that reality in my own life to confound the wise. I believe it will be the thing that will break open anything and everything that stands in the way, keeping people from coming to know Jesus as Lord and Messiah. I believe that with all of my heart. Now, just to set up some cultural context, and as I was looking at this, I was like, oh, my God. What was happening in the time of Jesus at his birth is exactly what is happening today in our culture. And you can see this through the life of Nicodemus. Check this out. Besides being a religious leader, a little history lesson here, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now, we've heard that religious term, okay, and it does mean that he was part of a religious movement, but it was bigger than that. It was a political party. It was not only a political party, but it was a social movement in the nation of the day. It was also a theological school of thought. There it was, all three of them right there. Politics, social movement, and theological schools of thought. He was right in that club. In fact, did you know that the Pharisees, after the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., the foundational political, social, and theological thoughts are what are the ritualistic basis for rabbinical Judaism to this day. So what we see in the Jewish religion came from the Pharisees that Nicodemus was a part of. Now what was interesting is in this time, the Pharisees were clashing with these people known as the Sadducees, all right? And the Sadducees were part of the small, upper, socioeconomic echelon of Judean society. Modern times, these would be the performers, the politicians, and the elite business leaders of society, a.k.a. Hollywood, all right? These were the Sadducees of the day, and the, and the Pharisees were clashing with these people. The Sadducees, interestingly enough, were the ones who maintained the, the, the temple. In other words, they were the ones that owned all the buildings. They were in real estate. Can I get an amen? And, and, and here they were, you know, kind of leveraging their authority in this space against the Pharisees. What's interesting is after the temple became 
extinct in 70 AD, they no longer had a job position, all right? Their sect actually closed down after the destruction of the temple. Now, what's interesting, in this time, the conflicts among the Pharisees, Pharisees, and every other sea that was on the planet, I just said Pharisee, that's a whole new sect that I I don't have time to talk about today. It was... It was heightened by Roman occupation of the land. Think superpower colonization. That's what was happening through the Romans, all right? And then you mix in Hellenization that was going on at the time, which was basically Greek culture and mythology. Thought here would be embracing any and all religious thoughts as as one road that ultimately leads to God. In fact, when you came under the Hellenists, you were Hellenized. That's what it was called. Hellenized. Isn't that interesting? Which the Sadducees, or Hollywood embraced, but the Pharisees were against it. The religious, they rejected it. All right? Now, other than that, there was also this great revolt that had just happened by Jewish zealots who were like, the world is unjust, and we need to rise up against the injustice and actually... In doing so, we need to take up arms and think never again movement kind of stuff, but with guns. You know what I mean? Like, that's who these guys were. And they were rising up. And you know what was sad about this is over one million people who were not even in the combatant zone died during this time. So in other words, Israel and the city of Jerusalem was a mess. It was a mess. Look at what, what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, when, the, when Jesus was coming on the earth. He says in verse 78, because of God's tender mercy, this is so powerful, the morning light from heaven is about to break in on us. Isn't it interesting that the answer to dysfunction and brokenness and pain and problems is not judgment, it's mercy. Hmm. Wow, we can kind of see the character of God in this verse. If anything, or any time when there could have been judgment against the nation, it would have been now because these guys were supposed to carry the light and the essence of God, and they were far from it. In fact, the friend that had just come to visit Jesus, Nicodemus, and was asking all these questions, he was caught up in all of the mess himself. But because of God's mercy, the light of heaven was about to break in on them. Verse 79. To look what it says. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Wow. Now Nicodemus was a man of influence. I believe that God's going to begin to touch people of influence in a powerful way with the gospel unlike ever before. And we should be praying for that. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. It was an assembly of a council of about 71 people. It was basically the Supreme Court of Israel. They were setting all the laws in the nation. He was highly educated. He was highly influential. And his decisions could help set the course for the nation, but he had a bad perspective on how those decisions should be executed. I submit that. 
So Jesus tells him, he says, listen, in John chapter 3, verse 3, he tells Nicodemus, he says, I'm telling you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now listen to me, please hear me on this. We are having our pre-service rally with our volunteers, our, those that are serving in facets of supporting what we're doing here on Sunday morning, just before the service today. And I was telling them, basically what is being said here is he's telling them, you've got to come out of the darkness that you're currently in. The problem with darkness is when we're in it, we don't really realize that we're in it. And when we were praying on Tuesday, there was a graceful merciful spirit of Jesus that visited us in the room and we were like, God, is there anything in our own hearts that we're blinded to that is keeping us or inhibiting us from manifesting the true essence of Jesus to the world? Because here's what the mystery is. You can go out there to the most lost person in society and they will be able to discern if you're really carrying the pure, true love and essence of Christ or not. How do you reconcile that? They will know if we are for real or if we are not real. And they will respond only to that which is real. So he's telling him, listen, if there's any mixture in you, if there's any bitterness or cynicism or doubt or criticalness or blind spots, Let's think about this. Think about blind spots. You better be in real relationship with some people that love you and you love them when you're dealing with blind spots in your own heart. Because think about it. When someone comes and tells you, hey, I see this. A blind spot is something that everybody else can see, but you can't see at all. So when they're saying this thing to you, you're like, you're crazy. That's not me at all. I don't have that. That's not happening in my life. And Jesus is telling them, listen, Nicodemus, there's some blind spots here. And unless you're born again, unless you come out of the darkness that you're in and and have your eyes open to the light of who I am, you won't be able to see what my Father is doing. I submit people on all kinds of sides in our culture have measures of truth, but they can't see what God is really doing because they have some blindness in their hearts. And repentance fell on us on Tuesday. It's powerful. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, listen, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. Let me ask you a question. Is that just a one-time thing? Or are we moving from glory to glory to glory? I submit our hearts are constantly being renewed, which is our mind, our will, our emotions. They're coming in alignment with the truth. Some of that is, is, is process over time where we're being opened up to really understand and know who Jesus is. I mean, for millennia, after we all go on to the next reality, we're going to be standing there in awe. Oh, my God, I wish I would have known this about you, Son of God, while I was on the earth. I could have been way more effective. Listen, we with our hunger for truth need to pull that into the now. We don't need to settle with what we think we've always known about God and just live out of that reality. We need to pull that into the now. Why? Because the world and what's going on out there is at stake. He says, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. 
Listen, remember the disciples in the early parts of the ministry? They're talking about calling fire down from heaven. And Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. In other words, he was saying to Nicodemus, listen, the way that I'm going to leverage your influence and the way that you think this is going to happen through politics and economics and tolerance and these revolts and laws, you may not be seeing it very clearly right now. And I want to give you eyes to see because, you see, there was, there was leaders, there was people that needed to rise to get others ready for resurrection power. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We're sitting in this room today because we somehow were graced with a gift to understand that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who would go to a cross on behalf of the sins of the world, And all of those sins couldn't keep him in the grave, nor could death, nor could hell. And he was going to come up out of that grave, resurrected, which would give hope to all of humanity. Because think about it. If he could overcome death, if he could overcome sin, sickness, and disease, and never have compromised in any of those areas, and yet expressed and manifest love to the most broken people on the planet, There was hope for any situation. Come on, come on, come on, come on. There was hope for anything. But did you know at this time, there were tons of messiahs that were claiming to be Jesus, if you will. Tons of people that were were, were saying, I'm the answer for this time. Did you know all those messiahs are still in the grave to this day? All of them. In fact, if you go to Israel, I've been over there, they'll have, they have pictures of, of rabbis posted all over the town. I remember when I first saw it, I was like, who are those guys? They're like, well, they, it's, you know, Rabbi so-and-so, and they believe that he's Messiah. And he died a few years ago, and they're waiting for him to fly in on a white jumbo jet to Israel and save the planet. And I'm like, that jumbo jet ain't coming. I hate, I hate to tell you, I hate to break it for you, to you, but he, Rabbi so-and-so is going to stay in the grave. Called to influence the world. Let our light shine for all to see. The nations, in fact, will come to the the glorious light of our rising. In fact, the world out there is waiting for us to prepare the body. So I I gotta, for the sake of time, I gotta move to the next portion of scripture where, where I see Nicodemus again. It's in John chapter 3, verse 19. Actually, it's not there. It's, it's actually in John chapter 19. Um, that's a continuance of where I was at. John chapter 19, verse 38. And Jesus has been crucified. His body is hanging on this tree. And this man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate. Now, you've got to catch this. We're wrapping this up. He asks for the body of Jesus. He asked for the body of Jesus to pilot himself. Now that was putting his own life at risk. Because normally after a crucifixion, they would leave the body to hang on that cross for a while. Until it began to decompose. And then they would simply throw that body into a ditch and let it rot for everybody that was walking by the road to see. 
because they wanted to show people and instill fear. If you come against us, this is what's going to happen to you. And he goes and he says, I want the body of Jesus. Now look at this with me. It says in verse 38, after Joseph of Arimathea, who led, who had been, look at this, a secret disciple. He was a hidden one. But was getting ready to come out in a key moment. And the reason he was hidden, because he feared the Jewish leaders. He asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. And when Pilate gave permission to him, Joseph came and took the body away. Now here's Nicodemus again. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had what? Come to Jesus at night. Isn't that interesting? The guy who had come to Jesus at night, now when the new day is truly dawning, is showing up and he's beginning to manifest his destiny as someone that was put on this world to prepare the body for resurrection that was to come. Now look at this, verse 39. With him came Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus at night, and he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and from aloes. There was this guy named... um, Josephus who lived back in the day of Jesus and he was a writer and he was a historian and he would write down accounts of things that were happening in the culture at the day and they've taken those writings and they've compared them to biblical texts and what they found is that so much in the Bible is proven from the writings of Josephus what's really interesting is in one of his writings He talks about the anointing of the body for burial. And he says that when someone dies or died in that time, they would take one jar of ointment and anoint the body in honor of who that person was. Now we know, remember Mary of Bethany, who poured a jar of oil over Jesus' feet. It was one pound or one jar. And we know that it was a great sacrifice to her because it was worth one entire year's wage. So think $30,000 that she was pouring out on the feet of Jesus in that moment in honor to him. Nicodemus buys 75 jars of oil. Do the math. That's two point. million that he spends on the body of Jesus. Now to amp this up a little bit, I want you to think about something. All the apostles and all of the early church followers, the 120, you know, all those people that had come to some understanding of the Lord. They were running and they were hiding at this time. And it was two guys that took this body that took this body and said, we believe 
that resurrection is coming to this one. And so we're going all in. So the words of Jesus to Nicodemus had stuck. Bro, come out of your world where you think that you're going to really make a transformation and invest in this one. Christ who had just died on the cross when it seemed like all hope is lost. 2.275 million. Josephus said that there was one other guy at the time that got 45 pints. That the people of the day were certain was a Messiah. And I thought about that for a minute. Isn't that crazy? That the majority of the culture put money in on a guy that never got up out of the grave? Here's my question as we close today. What energy, what money, what heartfelt emotion are we putting into some Messiah that's going to stay in the ground at the end of the day? How many of us, maybe in another sphere, are all up in church, but we're running at the end of the day for, in fear, and we're not really engaged in the moment? Because at the end of the day, man, those apostles were going to rise, but these two men were the ones that set the stage for it all to happen. Listen, and hear me well. There's going to be the biggest revival in South Florida history that's going to hit this region. And so many people are going to get in on it. But right now, there's a bunch of people that are absent because of fear, or there's a bunch of other people investing in a bunch of other oil that's being put on the wrong Messiah. And I want to take, and I want to go all in on a body that's going to get up out of the grave. On Jesus, that really is the only hope for the world. Now, how do we reconcile the tension that he's not been exposed to everyone and everywhere? I don't know. But what I will say is that I'm going to tell the next person that comes in front of me or the person that's in my neighborhood or the per- and I'm going to do it through the essence of my own life being transformed because I've gone all in with my is to see the transformation of our culture. Lord, open up our eyes to see where politically, socially, through revolts, through economics, through whatever means we thought there was going to be an ultimate answer, but if it's not formed in fashion through the lens of Jesus, let us see that we are putting oil on a Messiah that's going to stay in the ground. Last thought as we take communion today. I, I had this revelation. I, 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 I believe this, but 
You know, when Jesus came up out of the grave, he was unrecognizable. I don't fully understand that. You know, they, they couldn't recognize him. He looked different in some way. Do you remember Mary of Bethany, or Mary, the, the same one that poured the feet? I think it was the same one. Was it the same one that poured the oil over the feet of Jesus? Anyhow, no, it was the, the former prostitute, the former woman that was broken. She, she couldn't recognize him as Jesus. So how did she know it was him? She could smell the fragrance because his body was coated in oil of faith of two men that put it all on the line. What do people smell when they get around us? What do they smell? If they smell anything other than perfume, they're heading the other way. And the problem is not Jesus. The problem is us. But mercy is being extended today. The body's been broken and blood has been spilled. And our portion is the love of God. So Lord, today we conspire to eat of your body. We conspire to drink of your blood. We conspire to carry Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we conspire to repent of any messed up cultural thinking that has invaded our minds that doesn't align with your kingdom, that doesn't align with us being able to see what Father is doing. Could you eat with me today? Break down the walls. Could we sing that?
kind of a way, maybe you've known a religious Jesus, maybe you've known a form or fashion Jesus, we want to talk to you about him, we're going to have our ministry teams come, maybe there's something about today that impacted your heart, we want you to come and take this window, this moment, and go there with the Lord, maybe you'll have someone pray for you, pray with you as you do that, if you've got something going on in your body, sickness, disease, you got pain in your heart, there's things emotionally that just are out of kilter, let us pray for you, listen, God bless you guys, we'll see you next week, okay?